All right. Well, let's get started. It is good to see everybody. If you don't know, my name is Heath, and I am one of the Sunday school teachers here at North Clay. I am, we team, me and Johnny Sanders team up. Is he in here? No, Johnny? All right. So it's good to see everybody, and it's good to finally be able to do this on Wednesday night. Thanks, for Josh, for inviting me to, do, to speak. If you have your Bibles, turn in the book of Luke, chapter 24. Luke, chapter 24. And we're going to study from verse 13. If you came to my house, you might find a large amount of boxes in, in, in our kitchen. We order a lot of stuff online, and so we keep all of our Amazon Prime boxes. And you may be tempted to think, boy, the McPhersons are so environmentally conscious, they're going to not throw these boxes away, they're going to recycle these boxes. And I must make a confession with you tonight. We do not recycle all those Amazon Prime boxes. We burn those Amazon Prime boxes. We save them, we stack them up, take them into the backyard and set them ablaze. It is a glorious event that can be seen from outer space. You've never seen the Leaning Tower of Fire almost burn your eyebrows off. Just before the neighbors almost called the fire department on us, those flames from that box fire quickly die down to nothing. If I was going to make a fire that's going to last, it would have to be something different than cardboard boxes. As soon as the fire goes up, the fire dwindles down. If I was going to build a fire that lasts, it would have to be something more sustainable, like a hickory or an oak. In the same way, if we're going to have a passion for the Lord, we need something sustainable to burn on. Something in your life where you can look to to give your life a spiritual passion for the Lord. It can't be your, be your emotions. It can't be your circumstances. It has to be something sustainable. So tonight, we are going to read about two disciples who go from confused, unmotivated, and depressed to passionately living for Jesus. Let's see what happened. Let's read Luke 24, in verse, starting at verse 16. Before we do that, let me pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for these students. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you've given us your word to sustain our spiritual passion for you. Bless our time right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is Luke 24. Look at verse, starting at verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about 70 miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about the things that had happened while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a, pro who was a prophet mighty indeed, 
in word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back and said they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, him, he being Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going to go further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in and stayed with them. When he was at table with them, the two disciples, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. So let's walk through this passage. There's a great change that happened in these two guys' lives. Let's, let's see what happened. These two disciples had high hopes about Jesus, but things didn't turn out how they planned. They were depressed, they were confused, and hopeless. And they headed back home to try to get back to life as normal, back in Emmaus. While they were talking, walking, and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near. They don't recognize Jesus for who he is. Jesus temporarily keeps them from recognizing him. Look at verse 16. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And think about the spiritual state. Think about the spiritual state of these two disciples. A few days ago, they were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Their voices were probably hoarse from calling out, crying out to Jesus, Hosanna. They thought this was it. They thought the consummation of the kingdom was taking place. And they were going to see a great big change in their life. They were about to see fire from heaven. They were about to see the coming kingdom restored to Israel and the Romans driven to the sea. They, were, they, were, they felt like they were about to see an epic, an Old Testament epic event take place of this glorious kingdom of Israel restored. The disciples of Jesus have so many reasons to believe this. They saw so many miracles these two disciples were talking about. They thought this is the culmination of all things. They thought they were living in the apex of human history and God was going to right all the wrongs and shalom was going to break out to fill the earth beginning with King Jesus in Jerusalem. And then what? The Romans killed him. He was killed like a lamb, no contest. And Jesus has been dead for three days. So 
That's what these two disciples, as they're, as they're walking back, they cannot believe. They had all these hopes, and all those hopes were dashed to pieces. These two disciples were dep- are depressed, and they're going back home disillusioned with life. Look at verse 17. And he said to them, what's this conversation? He being Jesus, they not recognizing who he is. What is this conversation there you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Have you, have you ever experienced this? You hope to get something. You had this expectation. You thought for sure you're going to get it. But some circumstance happened and you didn't get it. Not only that, it's, it's worse than what you expected. That's disheartening. That's, it could be life-changing. Look at verse 18. Then one of them said, one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened in these days? So I don't want you to miss the irony here. These two and the rest of the disciples assume they know the end of the story. Jesus comes on the scene, does a mighty works and deeds. They think he's the Messiah, but the Romans kill him. That's it, the end, end of the story. They think they know the story, but Jesus is the only one who really knows the story. The, the book of Luke is full of irony. The irony is Jesus is the only one who really knows what's going on. So there's application for us uh, right here. Many times we act like Cleopas. We act like this disciple. We assume we know the reason for some tragic event that happened in our life. So let's, let's learn from this verse here. Let's fight against the idea that, that we know best and our assessment of the situation is correct. Look at verse 21. Cleopas said to, to Jesus, again, they don't know this is Jesus, okay? Because he has cloaked their eyes. He's going to reveal himself, but he has to, he's going to do something for them first. Look, look, verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. One reason they're sad and confused is that they didn't have the big picture. They didn't know God's plan. There are going to be events in your life that, that won't make sense. Some events may never make sense until you see Jesus. The disciples wanted Jesus to throw out the Romans, bring back the glory days of David and Solomon, but Jesus' mission was much more important than defeating the Romans. Look at verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Notice that it's not just these two disciples are missing information. It's not just that. He says, why are they depressed? Verse 25, they are slow of heart to believe. Believe what? All all that the prophets have spoken. All the things in the Old Testament. So don't miss this connection between the sadness of their heart and their incorrect belief. Why are we sometimes sad and depressed? We assume we know what's going on. We, we, we think we know what's really happening in the situation. And we go, 
nothing, can, nothing good can work out of this situation. We assume we know best. We sit in the, place, the seat of God and we go, I know what's really going on and this is not going to go well. They assumed they understood the entire story. Jesus clears up their bad theology. Look at verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? It's like Jesus is saying, don't you remember that time in Josh's Bible study? Don't you remember Johnny and Drew and Pastor Tim going over these things? You should know this. If you had been paying attention to these, these Old Testament passages, you should have seen, picked up what's going on here in the work of the Messiah. Was it not necessary? It was necessary that, this, that the tragic events played out like this. They should have understood that Jesus' death on the cross was not the end of the story. Life is going to be tough, but what will make it more difficult is not understanding and trusting in God's big plan. Things are going to be tough. You're going to face, be faced with things that we cannot prepare you for. But the big story is God has a hopeful plan for you if you're in Jesus. Life is like a jigsaw puzzle. You need to know the big picture, what the big picture looks like, so you can understand where all the little small pieces fit together. One pastor said, the silence of God is not the absence of God. The silence of God is not the absence of God. The two disciples are on the journey. We're on a journey. When God seems to go silent, don't forget the big plan. Don't forget what he says. God said this life is tough. There will be unexpected heartaches, cancer, unexpected loss. Jesus says in this life you will have trouble. Verse 17 says they're sad. And how does Jesus help them here? Well, he just says, cheer up, guys. Turn those frowns upside down. And uh, I'm going to send you a little funny video about a cat. And uh, I'm going to give you a little pep talk and send you on your way. Some churches do that. How does Jesus help him? Help these two disciples? This is very mysterious. These two depressed disciples who think Jesus is gone forever. You think... You would think Jesus would go, hey guys, they're walking to Emmaus. Jesus would walk up beside them and go, hey guys, look, I'm alive. Jesus, we were headed to Emmaus. We, you know, we, we thought you had died and that was it. You think Jesus would immediately do that. He does reveal himself, if you're familiar with the passage, but he gives them something else. He reveals himself in a different way before he shows himself. And I just think this is so mysterious and awesome. He wants them and us to realize that God has had this plan before the foundation of the earth. The silence of God is not the absence of God. Don't assume the author is finished with the story, your story. Let's read how Jesus helps them in Luke 24 verse 27. And again, I, I love this passage. Verse 27. 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the Old Testament, the things concerning himself. Why don't you just go, hey, Jesus, hey, guys, it's me. He, he does this, verse 27. The way Jesus helps us is so otherworldly. Could you imagine a therapist doing this or a counselor? What Jesus gives them goes deeper than what we can offer each other. They need to see the big picture. They need Jesus to connect the dots for them. The Old Testament promises, the foreshadowing, the echoes of the Messiah that will one day come and remove the barrier of sin that keeps us from enjoying the presence of the holiness of God. Jesus wanted them and us to know that he's not plan B. This plan was from the very beginning. Jesus says the Old Testament ultimately points to himself. What did Jesus do here for the disciples? What what did verse 27 sound like? Sinclair Ferguson explains what Jesus what Jesus uh, helped the disciples understand. Sinclair Ferguson wrote this. He summarized it like this. The two disciples, they need to see that Jesus is all throughout the Old Testament, ultimately pointing to himself. 27 could have sounded like this. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden, whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is a true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood now that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is a true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar, to go out into a void, not knowing whether he went, to create a new people for God. Jesus is true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. And when God said to Abraham, Now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from me. Now we can look at God taking his son up to the mountain and sacrificing him and, and say, Now we know you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from us. Jesus is true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve so that we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is true and better Joseph, who, at the right hand of the king, forgives those who betrayed him and sold him and used his power to save them. Jesus is true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a better covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses, who struck with the rod of God's justice, now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, a, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his friends. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they ultimately, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm, 
so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, uh, stained so the angel of death would pass over us. He's a true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb of God, the true light, the true bread. End quote. The Old Testament ultimately points to who Jesus is and what he will do. And what's the response? What's the response after this Bible study with Jesus from the, from the two disciples? Don't stop. Stay with us. Tell us more. Look at verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He, talking about Jesus, acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is, is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. My friend was going through a, a, stu- a Bible study in Esther, and when he got through with the Bible study, it was so good, the people that he was teaching was like, Don't stop. This is so good. They want to continue the study, and some studies are like that where you hear some truth, it resonates with your heart, you see Jesus in a new light, for as he is, and you don't want it to end. You don't want it to, to stop. And that's what it was like for these two disciples. So what's the result of this Bible study that Jesus gave the disciples? What effect did it have on their hearts? Again, most therapists or, or counselors wouldn't just give you a Christ-centered Bible study to change your disposition. But if you have a new heart and you see that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, this is going to move you. This is going to stir you. What is the response? Don't stop. Um, look at verse 30. When he was at the table with them, He took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Did our hearts not burn within us? That's not heartburn. It is a burning passion for the Lord. All the things they felt, seeing Jesus and all that he's done, They felt that again. This is motivation. Motivation for action. That's the result of this Christ-centered Bible study uh, on the fly on the road to Emmaus for these two sad disciples. What was the effect of this Christ-centered Bible study for the disciples? Number one, it created a passion. (coughs) I'm not sick. I don't have a fever. It created a passion. It created motivation Look at verse 32. Did our hearts not burn within us? Not only passion and motivation for the Lord, but also, number two, they wanted to connect with the people of God. And they wanted to talk about Jesus. It's the, again, it's the end of the day. They had a long journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And they're tired. They're like, we're retiring. This is our place. This is our stop. Come on, let's hang. You stay with us stranger. But now they're ready, they're ready to go. 
Look at verse 33. They rose up that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They're ready to go back to church. They, the, all the lights are on in their brain. They're seeing the big picture of the Old Testament. And they are motivated to live for Jesus. They're motivated to connect to the church. They're ready to get their church clap on. All the way back to Jerusalem. You cannot burn or sustain a passion for the Lord based on your emotions or good circumstances. We can't, if my, if my life got a little easier, if this thing goes the way I want it to, then I'm going to feel, feel good about life. Your, your life may be really difficult all the days. Jesus promised things will be difficult. But we can take heart because he's overcome the world. You need something to burn on that will sustain your spiritual life. You don't want to be a box fire. They burn fast, but their time is limited. You want to be the kind of fire like, a, like an oak that burns for a long time, that is sustainable. And that's what they needed. These two disciples were looking to circumstances. We thought he's going to do all these wonderful things. Jesus says, no, it's deeper than that. Your problem is deeper than that. We need something to burn on that will sustain our spiritual life. That's what you need. <clears throat> what is going to motivate you? We here, Mr. Pastor Josh, for the Tim, we're calling you to live for Jesus. And if you're like me, you wake up and you go, I, I'm still feel motivated. Seeing Christ in the Scriptures, seeing, looking to His promises is what's going to give you that motivation to live for Him. Again, I just think this is so bizarre, and I, I just think we should, this is awesome. Uh, well, first of all, before I get to that, so a point of application is warm your heart on the promises purchased for you by Jesus on the cross. Warm your heart. Meditate. The scripture focuses on us needing to meditate on God's word. It's not enough just hear it, read it, and go about your day. It's looking at different words, what they mean, understanding what it means. If you don't understand, you cannot apply it to your life. And seeing the, seeing the love of Jesus, it wasn't just some uh, intellectual exercise that Jesus gave the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He was showing them that God's plan, God's loving plan to send a Savior was all woven throughout the tapestry of the Old Testament. And this was God's ultimate plan to save, to save sinners. And the, the two disciples were like, the lights came on. The big picture was seen. But isn't this bizarre? Jesus could have just revealed himself on the road to Emmaus. But instead, he reveals himself in the pages of Scripture first. Do you all see the significance of this? Jesus knows what we need. He's about to ascend as the high priest of heaven and leave them again. What does he need to leave them with? A Christ-centered understanding of the Old Testament to sustain their spiritual health for the rest of life's journey. Guys, this is why you have a Bible. This is why we urge you to read your Bible. To get a study Bible, if some, some things not, are not very clear, and it's good to have a study Bible. But go into the scriptures, reading it, 
And when you meditate on God's Word, the Spirit turns lights on for you and gives you the power. You don't have the power in and of yourself to fight sin and live a passionate Christian life. That's why we need God's Word and we need God's Spirit to make these truths real in our hearts. But Jesus gives them a hermeneutical key for the Old Testament. Hermeneutical so they can understand what the Old Testament is ultimately about. Look at verse 32. Did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures, that's the effect that seeing Christ, that's the effect it had on their hearts. It wasn't emotionalism. Jesus says, he... He could just be, hey, here I am. Open your eyes. See, recognize, this is me, a resurrected Christ. And they're happy. Before he does that, he says, I'm in the scriptures. See me in the Old Testament. So in closing, Jesus is the yes and amen. He is the apex of revelation. If you see, your, if you see that you are a sinner... If you don't, I'm sorry, if you don't see that you're a sinner, you'll never appreciate who he is and what he came to do. It all starts there. If you don't see that, that you've fallen short of God's glory, he's infinitely holy. He cannot let sin into his presence. And by nature, we are children of wrath. We're dead in our sins and transgressions. You see that, and Jesus comes on the scene and makes these claims of you needing Messiah, you go, I need you in my life. I cannot face the holiness of God without your righteousness covering me. If you don't know Jesus here tonight, just know that you will try to fill your heart with something. Everybody lives for something. Everybody's going to look to something to make their life worth living. You're going to build a, bo- you're going to build a fire on something. Something, you're... <laughs> Something's gonna, something, you're going to look to something to motivate you to make life worth living. But that's going to be like a box fire, and it will die out quickly. If it's a person, if you're looking to a person, that fire will burn out. You need something deeper than that. Turn from your sins and trust your heart in the salvation of Jesus. You say, well, he, Jesus sounds awesome, but I've done stuff that Jesus would never forgive me for. That is not true. Jesus loves you. He is sufficient to save all of your sins. You would repent and look to him. He is sufficient. Jesus knows your sin more deeply than you do. He knows what you've done. He says, I love you. Turn from it and rest your heart in my love. Stop filling your heart with trash and rest in the passionate love I have for you. Turn from your sins and trust in his work on the cross to save you from your sins. Turn and trust. For the Christian here tonight that may lack desire, lack passion in in your walk for him, this passage gives you an idea of how to cultivate a love for Jesus. We must understand that the good news of Jesus is, we must understand the good news of Jesus is the big picture of Scripture. This is not a self-help book, ultimately. It has good examples. Ultimately, it's to point you to Jesus. 
Jesus is not a good teacher like all the other world religions. He says, you know what? I've come to save you. I didn't come to give you instructions for you to save yourself. I must do the work. Warm your heart with his love daily. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus' love for us is not a dull, sterile love. He feels great, passionate love for you, more than anyone can feel for another. God loves you like that. Look at the cross. For the Christian here that's lacking passion, look at the cross and see Jesus' passion for you to get a passion for him. Look at the cross and see Jesus' passion for you to get a passion for him. Did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for sending Jesus not to be our teacher, ultimately, but to be our Savior. Thank you for His perfect work, life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And Lord, if, if there is some in here that don't know you, I pray that they would turn from their sins and put their hope and trust in you. The world offers all kinds of things to live for, but they're just box fires. They're just cardboard box that is bright, burns bright, burns fast, but in the end will fall away, will die out and be nothing. Lord, the gospel is like an oak that constantly burns. So help us to look to your scriptures and look to your love for us in the gospel. Help us to burn bright for you. We can't do this on our own, Lord. We pray that your spirit would illuminate our hearts. Give us a passion for you. Bless our time as we worship you in song. In Jesus' name, amen.